0: Welcome to the Agile Career Podcast, where we will take you on the journey from employed for life to employable for life. We'll give you the tips, insights, and strategies to help you build the transferable skills that you'll need. So let's get started. Please welcome your host, Gunter Richter. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the next episode of the Agile Career Podcast. I can't believe we're onto episode five already. We're on to our third interview, and uh, we've got a really big one lined up today. It's a long episode, but it's really worth a listen. There's so many takeaways from a really interesting career. I've got Alistair Thompson Mills on the show today, so I'm not going to string you along. I'm just going to jump straight into the interview. Enjoy. Uh, in this episode, I'm really excited to welcome Alistair Thompson Mills onto the podcast and um Alistair's going to be talking about, I think, what many of us would consider a dream job, uh, probably something that we dreamed of growing up. Um, But I'm going to hand over and welcome Alistair onto the show. Uh, Alistair, welcome.
1: Hello. How are you?
0: Yeah, I'm doing good today. How about you?
1: I'm good. I'm good.
0: Do you want to talk a little bit about what you do?
1: Yeah. Well, um, I'm an actor.
0: It's It's an easy thing to say you're an
1: actor but uh, to become a working actor takes it's a long long journey of as you said yourself I found that quite interesting you know when you were young or when other people are young that they dream possibly about being an actor or maybe they dream about being a footballer or a pop singer or do you know what I mean yeah of course School, leaving school, college, university, and um, real life takes over. Um, when I when I was young, I grew up in a quite a tough mining village. Well, it had been a mining village. I grew up there, Coat Bridge in Scotland, west west coast. I grew up their 70s early 70s and um, the mining aspect had disappeared maybe 15 years previously but you still had the kind of slag heaps there it was a tough area not much not much work going about quite a lot of unemployment you know tight-knit communities uh not a lot of money and um, the whole area was struggling for a, a sort of new beginning. Um, if you went back there now, what you would find is that there are lots and lots and lots and lots of um, factories and businesses, and that that you have to you have to help me with this. It's um, Silicon Valley. It's a bit like that. There's lots of they make computers, and do you know what I mean? It's more manufacturing. Yes, it's-
0: definitely moved on from i guess some of the tough economic times of the 70s you know i I guess as you say experiencing all of the challenges during during the transition you know mines closing and all of those sorts of things and i guess thinking back then you you know when you were in school what were the sort of job prospects you you know what did you envisage yourself becoming did you always think you'd become an actor or you know was that a, a sort of um I guess the kind of journey you went on in in terms of thinking about what your ultimate career might be?
1: I mean career wise at school I remember we had a a meeting with the careers officer when we were 15 Um, you know the idea of education and taking it further and going to university just wasn't on the table Um, because of the area we grew up in they just the teachers or whatever just thought You'll end up leaving school, you'll either be unemployed or you'll get a a low grade manual task job. So any sort of, I remember my careers teacher looking at me and saying, so Alistair, your grades are average. Uh, I I would say your choices are um, working in one of the local sort of uh, steel works or or working for the, the council being a gardener or joining the military. And actually he thought that I, <laughs> because my dad was in the army and my, my brothers were in the army, that I should just follow them and just join the Scottish borderers and, and join the army.
0: Yeah, I guess it's not sort of great encouragement mm-hmm. or career guidance. And, uh, you know, one of the things I've said in an earlier show is is thinking about or asking the question, you know, who do you think is responsible for your... <coughs> Your career and your growth and you know we tend to think back and in many instances think well it's obviously our teachers and our guidance councils and those sorts of things but i think you know to a large degree it's actually us that need to take responsibility for that and um uh, you know and obviously things have moved on since then i guess looking back you know what you didn't do is leave school and say hey i'm an actor and i'm gonna go and look for for, for any acting roles you did a number of roles before you entered acting uh you know can you Tell me a little bit about those roles. I
1: mean, it's, a, it's a really good and interesting point in that, uh, I mean, you know, when I left, when I left school, um, I would say I enjoyed drama and I enjoyed the escapism of amateur dramatics. and But I never thought that it could lead to earning a living professionally as an actor because I didn't know anybody could help me uh, to reach to reach that that that, that goal. I, it probably was a goal. I mean, I hear lots of actors saying they knew they wanted to be actors since they were eight, but I think, as you just said earlier, most kids. Good actors know this. Um, good acting is based on play, and the time in our lives when we play most is children. Yeah. When you when you're a kid, you have no inhibition. You. If you want to be Batman and Robin, or if you want to be, do you know what I mean? If you want to uh, play football and pretend that you're Gert Muller or or Kenny Dalglish or you know or, or something like that, then you'll you do it without thinking, and it's very natural. And that's because when, when you see kids play, they're fearless. But
0: then yeah.
1: Then, when they become teenagers, that that fear that fearlessness goes. And and they become very self aware, and um, to 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 stand up and say to your careers officer, I want to be an actor, which I actually did say to him. He just laughed at me.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: He, he actually said, "Are you gay?"
0: <laughs> wow.
1: Well, he didn't say, "Are you gay?" He called me a uh, a derogatory word that means that, and I said, "No, I'm not." why you know and he just said oh just wondered and he said no mr mals i think it's the military for you uh, and uh, i left school and my first job was um my father got me a job as a landscape gardener which i hated but paid really well and remember i'm living in an area where there wasn't much work so the fact that i left school and had a job to go to was you know my mother my father you know we paid our way we paid what we called it you know we paid our rent our digs and, and we helped the family finance we didn't have much money but me and my three brothers all we all worked. we all left school one was one worked as a, a, as a carpenter one worked as a molder one was a landscape gardener. and one was a butcher for my three me and my three brothers and um I know for a fact that none of my three brothers wanted to be anything else. They wanted to live in Cote stay there their entire lives, stay in their jobs. And that's all they wanted, because that's all they knew. And for me, absolutely fine, because that that, that was what they wanted that made them happy. But it never made me happy. I always had my eyes on the horizon. You know, I used to look at movies like The Vikings with Kurt Douglas and would think, would love that movie but would be interested in in what the what the actors were doing what they were saying I was I was curious about the process and and that just got stronger and stronger and especially in amateur dramatics I mean I used to win quite a lot of awards in amateur dramatics because you know I got told that I was very natural and quite had quite charismatic um, and eventually through amateur dramatics one of the one of the sort of guys that was running one of the clubs I was in said you know you should try for drama school and it just seemed like a, a dream like a, a, an unattainable dream because I was so conditioned Gunter by my environment.
0: Yeah and that's a good point I mean you made you said earlier on that you you know you you did you enjoyed uh drama and 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 amateur dramatics and you did potentially see yourself growing in that sphere, but you didn't have anyone to reach out to, to help you achieve that goal. No. You know, had it been learning more about the military, you could have asked your dad or your, yeah. you, you know, your, your siblings, or, you know, if you wanted to be a steel worker or a miner, there would have been people around to ask, yeah. but it was that sort of lack of, of, I guess, a role model or a mentor that, yeah. that, that you struggled with. And now having mentioned that, um, you know, through some of the, the extracur- extracurricular drama that you did there was someone there to give you that um a bit of guidance and, and mentorship and saying you know you should consider drama school
1: yeah i did well what i mean um i tr- he, um the actor ian bannon is dead now um you ian bannon you would know have you seen braveheart
0: i have yes and,
1: and you know um robert the Bruce, who is kind of scottish king was William Wallace's kind of nemesis. And he become at the very end of the movie, Robert the Bruce becomes king of the Scots, and he charges the English at the very end. Do you remember that?
0: Yeah, it's coming back to it. been a few years since I've His seen fa- it. But...
1: His father was played by Ian Bannon. And, he, and I think Robert the Bruce's father had... Um, um, what's that disease called? Where you get lots of sort of scabs, and it's very contagious. Uh, uh,
0: le- leprosy, yeah.
1: Leprosy, and uh, Ian Bannon played that role. But going back, he was in a movie with Sean Connery called The Hell, and uh, he was very. If you look him up, very successful. Anyway, he lived. He lived quite close. Funnily enough, he lived in what we called the posh side of town, and he'd retired more or less. And I, but I knew that he through amateur dramatics, people had said to me, yeah, "Ian Bannon lives in Airdrain I actually walked to his house as a 17 year old Actually, I knew where he lived. And I knocked his door and he came to the door. This is Ian Bannon, who I've seen on screen, TV, heard on radio. I know a very, very then popular, successful Scottish actor. And I just looked, at God knows what he thought. And I just said, I live in Coatbridge. Um, although he probably heard this accent. Hello, Mr. Bannon, my name's Alistair, I want to be an actor, will you train me? So it was a bit of a Jedi moment. (laughs) (laughs) And he just laughed, and he said, well, son, in you come. And I went, and he made me a cup of tea, and him and his wife chatted away to me for a bit. And he said, okay, well, show me what you've got, because if you want to be an actor, you have to do it right now. And I stood and I did one of the speeches that we had recently done from Lady Windermere's fan, which is a sort of restoration play. And he looked at me and he said, oh, I'll help you, son. He, he, he coached me in two speeches for drama school, for the Royal Co- for the Royal Scottish Academy of Dramatic Arts and for Queen Margaret College in Edinburgh. They were both uh, recognised drama schools. Um, and I applied and I auditioned for both. And I got into both. And then something happened that, that changed the course of my life. Then, um, I uh, <laughs> I met a girl, fell in love, and we. Uh,
0: so she often felt, happens. She
1: felt well. She felt pregnant, and um, being an actor wasn't conducive to um, my family and her family. We had a sort of meeting, and I, I had to agree. You know, I couldn't go to drama school. Not with a baby on the way. We got married. You know, we loved each other. I got married, um, had a kid, and um, I had—I I got accepted into the Royal Scottish Advisory And I got accepted into Queen Margaret, but I didn't accept the places. I—I um, I applied for a job as um, a life insurance salesman with Scottish Amicable because I reasoned I love a bit of a talker and a bit—I've got great confidence. But inside, Gunter, I can be quite, quite, quite. I'm quite shy and nervous, actually. Um, you, you've met me before, and we went on these uh, dad's camps with our kids. And what that, that person you saw was more of an act. It was more of an act. It was a sort of, um, it wasn't really me. It was just me playing a role because I didn't really have the confidence. I didn't know anybody well enough to be myself, do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, it's really difficult putting yourself in those situations. And um, I think, as you say, again, that's probably one of the skills that you evolved. You you know, you talk about this, tell me the story about, you know, knocking on on Ian Bannon's door and he's saying, okay, come on in and, and, you know, show me what acting skills you've got. And I think to be able to perform on on demand is, you know, that's quite something. I think that was a moment, that
1: was a moment I realized that I could do it. And And not only could I do it, I did it well. And I, and he was crying. I think he was crying part, partly because, because it was, it, it was, you know, it wasn't in any way, shape, or form a professional performance. It was he was probably just looking at this young actor, you know, doing his best and just sort of remembering himself, maybe, in that as that sort of person. And and it might not have been that great. Probably it wasn't. But he saw something. He's, the fact that I could stand there and do it, because. And I'm sure this is the same for any job, any job. If you you love what you do, and if you can do what you love, you're a lucky person. But a lot of of people like me, for instance, if I had went to drama school when I got accepted, and I wouldn't change what happened for the world. I, 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 I love my two boys I had with my first wife. That marriage didn't last, unfortunately. Her and I are still friends. She remarried. I've remarried, you know, but I've got my two boys from that relationship. But if that hadn't happened when it happened, I would have went to drama school and I, I would have been an actor from the age of 17 rather than an actor from the age of 27 when I went much later. But getting back to um, what you were saying about Ian Bannon, um I think the idea that I just stood up there and did it, um, I'm quite sure that in any career, any career, any, any career, there must be a moment you know, whatever it is—doctor, lawyer, nurse, MP—whatever it is, there must be a moment where you've got to prove, you've got to prove yourself. That, that, at the very least, you've got what it takes to do that job. You know, anybody can say, "Oh, I can, I, I can do this, I can do that, I can be what you want." But there does come a moment when, whatever that job is, there comes a moment when you've got to do the job and and be seen by your employers to do the job, and that and that great pride can come from that. So. As an as an actor, as somebody that had found out what he wanted to do with his life, and then made the decision because financially it didn't seem viable. I couldn't go to drama school for three years. I couldn't support the couple the baby that was coming. Yeah. Um. You know. And um, in a sense, it was. You could argue it was my own fault. But in another sense, I was excited about 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 my kid, and I was excited about getting married. I was sad that that I. I felt a little bit browbeaten by 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 parents and whatnot, but I had to do it. You know, there was I just didn't have. If if my father had been, mother had been extremely rich, and you know, and had had money that could have helped me, then I could maybe have went to drama school. But I didn't. I had to support the family that was coming. So I was young, I was about nineteen, and um, I got an interview with uh, Scottish Amicable as a life insurance salesman. Is it okay to talk about this?
0: Yeah, absolutely, and, so, I,
1: uh, and and I remember thinking, and I remember in that interview with um, with the manager, Mister Shan, or the line manager that would have been my line manager, he just said, "We just need people to go. This is this is a tough job to go door to door and sell life insurance."
0: And he said, "I've I've done that already. I've gone door to door and sold myself." Exactly.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and and you you know what I'm it's a it's a very very and he said we need people that are confident or or can pretend to be confident and that's when the actor in me came out so I kind of was uh, that was one of the first times that as as an and I hadn't even trained as an actor at that point it was one of the first times that I I utilized or transferred the skill that you need as an actor to another job and that skill that particular skill was having confidence in and, and, and be able to speak for yourself and be, and and and, sh- and, and to put, put points across in a way that, that, that people trusted what you are talking about. I mean, this is the early 80s and to be a life insurance man, you know, you had to, tr- you had to do quite a lot of training with Loutro and various bodies, had to go down to Birmingham. And, and, and I found myself missing the opportunity of being an actor less and less. And I started to get into the whole idea of sales and about, meeting targets, So anyway, I, I passed my training with Flying Colours, and before I knew it, I was basically being dropped off, I couldn't drive at that point, and on streets and just knocking doors and trying to sell something, that, a thing that isn't in your hand. You're selling an idea, and actually, a life insurance salesman selling death. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's got you're, absolute... You're making people... Scared a, about dying and it's, leaving nothing.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a product that has no benefit to the purchaser. Um
1: And I remember, I remember my very first day, very first door, I was like, hello, my name, and you had, had a spiel, my name's Alison Mills. I work for Scottish Amarillo, slam. Okay, that door's gone, right, next next door, hello, man it's slam. And all the way down that street, slam, 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 slam. every door closed in my face, about 40.
0: How did you, then I, mean, how, then how how I would
1: you? cross over and work my way back up, but I got to the end of that first gross houses, it was 19, and uh, cold calling, God, what a nightmare.
0: Well, how did you uh, deal with that? I mean, it's... Oh, it,
1: it, well, and I, remember, I still remember it to this day, again, so I was, uh, knocked at the door. and this old lady comes to the door, and I looked at her and I thought, she is not going to buy life insurance. She's not going to buy life insurance. She's about 90. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought she was. She was probably only about 50, but she's young. And uh, she's like, Yes. And she's still standing there looking at me. And I'm looking at her and I said, Oh, hello. My name's Alistair. Hello, Alistair. How can I help you? Um, I worked for Scottish Amicable. Oh, they're, they're a very nice company. That's a good job, son. What are you selling? I'll, well, I'm just not selling anything. I'm kind of just wanted to talk to you about the idea of life insurance but listen I don't want to waste your time. come in so I went into this lady's house I'll never forget it she was obviously quite elderly maybe didn't have much help with housework and things so her house was not too clean but there were lots of cats I reckon about 40 cats
0: wow, a proverbial cat lady yeah. It,
1: it stank but you know what she was kind to me and I always remember going to, she, she took me into her um, living room. And her living room, it was the strangest thing. You know how subliminally, when you walk into a room and then you leave and you think back to that moment, you have a sort of subliminal memory. And sometimes the strangest things stick out. It can be anything in an office, it can be a window or it can be a, you know, a filing cabinet with something on top. Just, you know, there's just something that your memory, and then um, when I walked into that room, I thought I was walking into a full-scale model of New York. Wow. That's what I saw. <laughs> and, and the reason I thought that was she had um, piles and piles of um, newspaper, tabloid newspaper bingo cards. You know, these bingo cards that each day they post some numbers and you take them off in the, the card. Yeah. And then if you complete the card, you phone the, the newspaper and, you could win whatever the prize is. And the, the postman would post these cards through the doors, everybody's door. But anyway, so and this this woman had literally thousands and thousands of these things. And they were all piled up, big, giant piles, different levels, which made me think of a landscape, like, like a city landscape, like New York. They were everywhere. And I was just, just looking at these things. And she sat, sat sits with me down, would you like a cup of tea, yeah makes me a cup of tea and, and I remember it had tea leaves floating in it and I'm thinking I don't want to do this job I want to be an actor oh my god I don't want to do this job and she said listen son she says so have a drink of tea and he puts a kitten on the lap and I said can I ask you a question what, 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 what are all these bingo cards about and she said oh son because I live in the last the last house or the first house and um, the postman he can't be bothered posting all these cards to all these neighbors. So I said, I'll take them all and I will do them for all my neighbours. So I said, so she showed me a card, so it had like Agnes number 42. I said, so this is Agnes, from number 42's (laughs) bingo card. She went, yeah, yeah, I'm doing it for her. She doesn't know I'm doing it for her, but if she wins, we'll go halves.
0: That's brilliant. (laughs) So
1: she um, she got millions of these things. And um, And I'm just looking at her going, oh, my God. And um, she said, listen, I'm too old for life insurance. The reason I called you in, as soon as you mentioned Scottish Amicable, my son has just started a job and um, they're thinking of buying a house and they've been offered mortgage payment protection. Do do you do that? at, At that point, I didn't. I wasn't involved in that side of it. Scottish American. Well, I was literally my first day and um, and I said, no, but I can find out about it. She went, no, well, if you find out about it and come back, I'll make sure my son's here and we'll get something sorted out. And to cut a long story short, I went back to the office, found out about mortgage p- payment protection, you know, about taking insurance out against if things fall through in the mortgage. And we ended up selling our son uh, quite a large, policy
0: and I got that was my first ever sale that's brilliant I mean I've I've taken two really good points away from that story and I think you know the first one is thinking about resilience you know and you had however many times you had not the door probably wasn't slammed in your face but you had to deal with a lot of rejection and and I'm being very theatrical it wasn't quite like that (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, but I'm, you know, I'm guessing this, this helped build your resilience and this it's sort of demoralizing skill.
1: Demoralizing.
0: <laughs> well then, but thinking back, I suppose, and thinking, you know, I guess thinking forward to your acting career, uh, you, you know, you probably don't get every role you audition for no, either. And, you know, it's that same set of skills from being turned down, you know, selling insurance to, to not getting a role. And, um, so I think that that was very key that jumped out for me. And the other one is, Uh, I guess, the power of networking. So, you know, essentially what you did, you invested the time, you know, building rapport and and, and that relationship with with the old lady. And, uh, you know, it resulted in, it wasn't a yes now, but it was a yes a bit later in in terms of selling.
1: It taught taught me a really valuable lesson on my first day. So, and actually, not even on my first day, literally crossing the street, after I dealt with this old lady, I went across the street, I didn't go straight back to the office you know i had to continue you know the next door that i knocked um i changed my whole pitch i i threw out the script that scottish amicable gave me you know that you they said that you had to say and then somebody just came to the door It was just a young guy he said "Hi, hey, i'm sorry to bother you mate are you busy and he went no no what is it i said oh listen i don't I, i'm not going to bore you you know but um, I, I, do, I work for Scottish Amicable and you've obviously, you've probably got a life insurance policy or you don't care, but um, I just wanted to just uh, just talk to you a couple of minutes just to find out if you're interested in anything like that, do you? And, and he just started talking to me because I had immediately been derogatory about my own job and sort of fed into people's mistrust about that particular. Nobody wants to be so deaf what we used to get told we had to say as part of the script is, if I said to you, Gunter, um, you're going to, you died, you you died yesterday, Gunter. I can say that, Gunter, because you didn't die yesterday, did you? I'm asking you. Uh,
0: did you, die yeah, you know, no, I didn't. Right, so uh, therefore,
1: uh, but if you had died yesterday, what kind of provide? provide what would you have provided for your family would you what would they, what would have been the situation with the mortgage and with what, what would have been left behind yeah and so and so that that got that that's the script but again although it's a it's a great way in it just makes people uncomfortable people don't want to think about dying they're it's just t- going.
0: it's a terrible topic
1: it's a terrible terrible topic but if you can hit it in a way that doesn't make them feel uncomfortable. And in actual fact, you can. what I found is, I started immediately using humour. They would never take out an insurance policy. And I, I was. The, I became the first person at Scottish Amicable to get insurance policy with, a, 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 and by, a, I just mean that, I don't mean that in any sort of derogatory sense, I just mean that their culture, they didn't, they just wouldn't entertain the thought of what would happen after death—they did not, because they, their businesses and their monies were just all all, all given over to their families. But that's just the way it was. You you didn't have save you whatever you had in the bank was what you had in the bank, and if your business, say you had shops, you might have two, three, four, five shops, and it might expand to ten shops. And then you might pass away. Your son would get those shops, and that and, and so that's just the way it was. You, you kind of lived in the moment, but. And again, it's not been derogatory of the Asian community at that time, but, they were, but it was well known that it was very difficult to sell a life insurance policy to an Asian business because, and it wasn't in any derogatory sense; it just was. They just they just didn't entertain giving money away in their in their mind for nothing. This is just the way it was. But I um, I, I I used to sell inheritance tax as well, or insurance life insurance on inheritance tax, and I, I, I with that skill that kind of humour I, I would I'd walk into some shops or businesses and you know you called the elder the elders in those kind of communities uncle and I walk out and say how are you going uncle and they were very suspicious but I just kept on going back day after day never asked for anything and eventually they would get to like me chat to me and they would say what do you want Alistair and I say well listen you know my job I'm a life insurance salesman but I also deal with mortgages and I do uh, I work with inheritance tax. And they would say, what's inheritance tax? And the moment they said that, you know, I had them, I'd say, well, let, let me leave this leaflet. Basically, back then, the government takes 17.5% of whatever, um,
0: you know... The, the legacy you've built yeah, for your whatever family. whatever you leave behind, that.
1: the government get that in tax. And they would say, oh... But, well, and a lot of the time, they didn't know. And I'd say, well, yeah, If you let's say, how much do you think you're going to be worth, Uncle? And he'd say, oh, okay uh, 500,000, 500,000 Well the government will get 17.5% of that. And they say, no, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'd show them the leaflets and whatnot. So I'd go back the next day and they were phoning me to come back. Come back, we need to talk to you, we need to talk to you. Now yeah, I'm here, and how can we stop this? You take out a life insurance policy for that 17.5%. Ah, so how much do I pay? Well, say 30 pounds a month that'll cover, if you pass away yesterday, i say that, blah, blah. blah. And I was starting to motor. <laughs> <Yeah>. I, I <laughs> it was guess. the early 80s. Uh, it was like every, you know, wine bars. And I was working with, oh, amazing people. And then, but at the back of my mind, the fact I'd got accepted into those drama schools, it just always sat with me. And I, and, and I was still doing amateur dramatics. And I was desperate to be an actor and, but I couldn't stop. Well, I would, anyway, unfortunately my wife and I, my, my first wife, that relationship came to an end. It was an amicable agreement um, and I got access to the kids. And on the Monday, unfortunately, I was devastated about my marriage ending and, um, and um, that was that it was over.
0: Yeah and I guess thinking back in many instances that could have been you still living in that house and yeah. still working as that mortgage consultant or mortgage yeah. salesman yeah I mean yeah. and did, did did you did you carry on your job I mean that was a fairly I think pivotal. Uh, sorry a fairly pivotal moment or a significant uh, event you know um did you did you carry on as the mortgage I, consultant?
1: Uh, I contact. I phoned Dean Barnen up
0: and asked his advice
1: and unfortunately, uh, sorry, I phoned Dean Bannon up to ask his advice. And unfortunately, I found out that he'd passed away. Um, I hadn't read about it, and because um, at that point there wasn't internet or anything. And um, uh, yeah, so I uh, I thought, right, that's it. Um, you know, he's got f- further. enough, finding out that he'd passed on, kind of, made me think about that time I'd stood in front of him. And so I. Um, I applied for a national uh, uh, one year drama, one year college course. It was called the National Certificate of Drama and Theatre Skills. And I had to audition for Motherwell College. Uh, I didn't try for drama school because I just felt, I felt I wasn't ready for drama school because I'd had a massive gap, like six or seven years. Yeah. Um, So I felt I'll do this course. Um, I got a bursary and stuff. I didn't need it really, but um, and I and I got accepted, and I did this one year course. And in doing that, I knew I wanted to be an actor from that point, you know. Um, and um, I, I uh, the next year I applied for for drama school, and I got into RADA. I got into every big drama school in England, every single one I tried for.
0: <clears throat> and had you had you by then given up your um, your sales job?
1: I walked out, oh, sorry, yeah, going back. Um, so, yeah, me and my, my, my first wife split in a Friday and I handed my cards in on the Monday.
0: It was quite a big big leap. I mean, so sort of going from, I guess, the certainty or I suppose it was never a certainty of a paycheck because it was commission-based. But, you know, given the skills you'd built and, uh, you know, the portfolio, I guess, and the, the sort of customers you're bringing on board, it, it was quite a big leap to go to that unknown and, and thinking about, you know, how do I... How do I support myself going forward?
1: Well, uh, I got taken into, uh, not the CEO, but next in command. And they they were almost on their knees begging me to stay. Because I had become an area manager by then and I had a team and, um, and I was very successful. I was doing mortgage. I was a mortgage consultant. I was doing inheritance tax. I was recruiting. I was training. I had a full-blown career, a successful career. And they just couldn't understand it. And I just thought, you know, sometimes, and this might relate back to to your talking about transferring skills and about, you know, in in, in, in podcast one, when you talked about, do you remember you said that your father had said, you know.
0: About joining the bank. Yeah.
1: Bank and then staying there and your life and getting the pension. And, you know, but you look back and you realised four or five times you changed career, five, four or five times. But in those actual moments of changing career, you know, sometimes it would be a slow process, but I don't know if if, if possibly one of those times
0: it was an instant decision. So you weren't Um, tempted at all to go back and change your mind and say, okay, I'm going to stay, I'm going to stay in this role?
1: No, because deep down inside, it was a tough, tough job. And I believe sales—that kind of sales job—is meant for young people. And although I was still young when I left, I was becoming quite worn out. I was doing six-day weeks, working twelve-hour shifts. Um, I was starting to become burned out anyway. That kind of job does burn you out. I mean, this is another reason why people change careers, isn't it? That they becomes they become um, stayed and yeah, stayed it- and, and they get they they want a, a new challenge and
0: it's a bit of a reset and um i think yeah it it it, uh as you say you you know you often stagnate and it's about thinking well what's going to i guess drive me or ignite uh, you know some form of passion or get me learning those new skills so um, it's a good point i guess fast forwarding so you know accepted to drama school having gone through that journey and and then ultimately realizing what it was deep down that you'd always wanted to do, you know, entering this acting career, you know, what are the sorts of skills that you felt you took forward with you? I mean, we used the example of the sort of, you know, rejection when you were selling policies, but what else would you say were were, were key um, skills, you know, perhaps some of the stuff you'd learned, managing people, you know, what were the key yeah. things that you took forward into your acting career?
1: Well, I've always believed that an actor is two two things. They are... And this is a political analogy. They are a socialist, and they are also, um, uh, well, I don't know, a Tory, I suppose. Uh, individual right on the right. And by that, what I mean is, when you're working as an actor, you're a socialist because you're in you're in a group, and it's a group ethos, and we're all the same, and we're and there's no, you know, nobody's better than anybody else, and we're all working towards the same goal. Whereas when you're not working, you're more like a Tory. You're more, you're on your own. You're a single person looking after yourself, trying to better yourself and move forward. And and, um, and you're only thinking about yourself. Sorry, I, that's a terrible analogy. And I apologize <laughs> to any Tories out there. I'm sure that's not, but that's the way I used to think. Um, <laughs> but um, do you know what I mean? I mean, that idea about,
0: yeah it's,
1: sort of, or, be, it's get on your bike and and build and and be more be on your own but you know you go you get out there and get it done
0: and competing for competing for those roles that you're hoping to win yeah um,
1: yeah exactly so uh, but at the moment you get the job you, you can you can be a right-wing person and quite a socialist that's uh, relaxed about everything um so yeah um but personally speaking my my own personal skills is that um what 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 is an what is an actor? An actor is a person that um, creates other people. Television, radio, theatre. Um, when I was at drama school, I was only interested in theatre. I wasn't interested in television. I wasn't interested in radio. I just wanted to get on stage, and my goal was to end up at the Royal Shakespeare Company because I fell in love with Shakespeare and I fell in love with the classics. And I, um, although I didn't make the Royal Shakespeare Company, I did do various renowned. Um, sort of venues Guildhall and I was in uh, loads of places in London and, and I was a theatre actor when I left drama school that's all I was interested in it was, and I loved the process of rehearsing because I always thought what, what what is a good actor an actor a good actor is a person an actor that can hear himself speak and, and when he hears himself speak he hears the truth and he hears reality, and a bad actor. Some people would say a wooden actor can't hear their own voice, and so that that's a good starting point. So right. it goes right back to my insurance sales days when I when I realised I had that eureka moment of just being honest and being truthful and just being myself. So basically, I, I, as an actor, I, I start off my my position, my start position, is me. What am I, who am I, what do I bring? And I am quite I, I'm quite chatty, friendly, I've got a good sense of humour. I think I'm quite quite intelligent. I love analysis. I love I love analysing text. I love researching. I love you know and I love looking at what Stanis called, you know, um the five points, which is um, you know, who am I, what do I want? How do I get what I want? What's trying to stop me from getting it? And how do I achieve it in the end? You know, Stanislavski is an acting kind of guru from Russia. And he, he, he was the one that sort of helped to transition from actors standing in front of a proscenium painted arch with no set, no furniture, no, n- no real food. They were just dressed in costume, you know, gesticulating, gest- 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 whereas he thought, well, why can't we have a real table? Why can't we have real food in front of the actors? And, and, and then he talked about emotional memory about, you know, if if an actor's about to play a scene where his mother's died, okay, that actor's mother might not have died, but he must have experienced in his life the feeling of loss. So, so last he thought, well, use emotional memory. So Alistair in this scene, your mother's just died. My mother didn't die. Yeah, she didn't, but I want you to think about when you felt sad. So yeah, well my um my grandmother mother died and I felt devastated but I want you to feed into how you felt. And, and so this is so that's what emotional memory is.
0: So it's yeah. leading on those experiences.
1: So all of a yeah. sudden, Saras Lasky in the Moscow Arts Theatre, people were going to see real people in real stages with real cutlery, real the smell of real food. And it became real. And from that moment on, theatre changed forever. And so did movies. And so did everything became more naturalistic um and that kind of although in england there was a sort of uh you know there was a shakespearean actor type movement which was very sort of artificial bbc plum voices until the 60s and the angry young men and john you know john osborne and things like that happened and um and all of a sudden the kitchen sink dramas and the northern reality kind of came came along and um but getting back to me as an actor i mean so when I approach when I approach a role, I find out who the person is, what do they do, where did they come from, how old are they, what's their sexual preferences, um, have they got a sense of humour, what, what how do, how's their job affecting them, how's their, their relationship affecting them, what do people another thing another, another thing that good actors do and bad actors don't do, and I don't mean there's no such thing as a bad actor, any actor that, that stands on a stage and tries to act is is, is a good actor, but Good's not the word I'm using. I don't mean good. I mean, maybe I mean a sort of professional actor. Um, one of the things that they'll do is they, they they will read the entire play script. They'll pay attention to what other people are saying about their character. Some actors just read their own lines and don't look at the rest of the play. So how can you be informed by the whole thing, you know?
0: Yeah, I think, I mean, there's a combination of two things there. And I guess drawing back on the point you made, uh, or the, yeah, I mean, you said about the sort of five points, um, you know, kind of understanding who you are, where you want to be, how you're going to get there, what the blockers are and that sort of thing. Yeah. I think, you know, that's that self-awareness and and knowing yourself, knowing what your strengths are and also knowing what your weaknesses are. Yeah. So I, I just wanted to pull that out because I thought that was a really good one. And, and the other one then is that you're talking about now is is almost putting yourself in, in other people's shoes. So in, in the acting context, you know, you, you're sort of taking on that role, putting yourself in the character's mind and trying to understand more about yeah. them. But I think that that's a great skill that we could all use when dealing with people on a daily basis. You know, think about it's empathy, isn't it? It's, you it's, know, def-
1: it's definitely if you're a line manager and you've got one of your team coming in and say, 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 say. Um, you know, my wife's the CEO of a charity, and so you know we talk a lot about things. She didn't tell me, she doesn't, she doesn't, you know, she doesn't reveal or she doesn't give me information I should know. But she might, be, she might have a problem. She might say, "Oh well, I've got a tough decision to make today about I may have to let somebody go and because of whatever reasons," and and and, and I really like them. Or, or she might say, "I've got to, I've got to it. I've got to, I've got to reprimand somebody for something that's happened." And, I, and, I'm, and, I'm, and, she's, and she's, she's upset. She's brought it home. And, I, and I've said, you know, why are you upset, darling? And she said, well, because, you know, I really like this person. But unfortunately, in, in, in the context of their job, they have not come through with what they promised. And they've let a lot of people down. And I'm going to have to cap at them today. And, and, and I might have to let them go. But I, I'm going to talk to them today. And so as an actor, I'd say to her, well, my advice would be, remember how you felt in your life in the past if you've ever been in a similar situation to this person. And she said, that's good advice because normally you're thinking about yourself.
0: Yeah, it's great advice.
1: You know, but uh, for a minute, put yourself outside that door of the person who's about to knock the door and go into the office and to face you, Gunter or Maria, my wife or whatever. and And just for a moment, because then if you have that empathy, and you you can do, and then in a sense, it, it just comes down to the actual job. Why why did you fail? Why did this happen? I don't want this next set thing to happen, but you have to tell me. And then maybe, and then, and, and the way that you talk might open them up. And it's for instance going all the way back to that old lady, in in life insurance. You know, she just saw a scared young guy, and she felt she obviously just saw something in me that made her think of her son or whatever and she wanted to help me and, and i think that kind of honesty in all of us can help as through most situations in life but the thing is we're human beings and sometimes we we act without thinking or yeah sometimes we're under a lot of pressure or sometimes you know so i as an actor when you're approaching a role i just played um, I mean, I haven't really went on to say about my career. I don't know if you wanted to talk about my career, but um, jumping ahead, I just the last thing that I did, I played the, the second lead character, which is a massive break for me in a feature film called uh, Gone to Ground. And um, I played a part of a 50 year old ex paratrooper with post-traumatic stress syndrome, and um, who works in the sex industry. And has become a sort of um, a, a sort of man that that, that, that shuffles these um, poor l- women and men around to be sold for sex, and um, he gets most of these people from Eastern Bloc countries—Romania, sort of uh, Poland, whatnot—and um, the whole the whole movie is about his sort of. Well, it's not about him, but it's, it's about it's about it's about a um, a Polish girl who he brings over and she ends up as a sex worker but he falls in love with her but he's got all this this stuff going on the, the, the post-traumatic stress syndrome problems with his ex-wife his kids he's he's, he's an addict he's a gambling addict he's, he's he, he drinks too much because he's he's racked with guilt about who he is or what he's what he's become and then um, and I don't want to waste it because it's given away the plot, but, you know, it ends up that we find out that, you know, when he was in the army, he used to supply prostitutes for the officer's mess. And he's based on a real person. This actually happened. Wow. And when he left the army, one of his main skills was doing this clandestine thing, and and he applied it. He changed. He he, he met people, and he, he, he became a sort of gangster who who in this horrible industry and did very well and built up a massive empire in uh, London
0: and I I mean I guess this is one of the really good things about the arts you know it exposes I guess us as the public to things we might not normally read about or know Uh, you know you know it's um and and I think equally so from an actor's perspective as you say learning about mental health, um, you know, learning about some of the topical problems that society's facing, I think, you know, it's a a great platform.
1: Well, you you just have to look to Shakespeare. Shakespeare did everything. There isn't one human emotion that he's not touched upon. Nothing. You know, from Macbeth and revenge and killing children to to Hamlet, you know. Yeah. You know, and um, it's all there. Uh, So, and I can transfer those is heightened reality Shakespeare but I can transfer it to sort of um to a more naturalistic sort of form but um yeah I left drama school did lots of theatre came down to London met my wife my second wife had kids um and I've always done non-acting jobs I've done various jobs you want to hear about one of the maddest
0: (laughs) yeah um because I was going to touch on that I mean I was you know, you talked about always wanting to become a theatre actor and, you know, very much in in, in love with Shakespeare's work. Uh, you obviously went on to do other things like roles in TV and, yeah. and feature films, yeah. as you've just described, yeah. Yeah. voiceovers. But yeah, no, I know mean, that there's, there's other work you do as well. So it would be, I think, great to touch on that.
1: Well, because an actor, um, unless you're one of the, what was it, 2% of actors that are always working, um, you know, an equity, which is the Actors' Union. I think so at any given time, some like 90% are not working. Uh, so what do they do? They, they they transfer their skills as an actor to various other jobs. Mainly jobs like um, hospitality or, uh, or like a, a support work, which I'm doing just now, or um, sales. Um, interacting with people, because that's what Actors are good it's people, people,
0: interpersonal skills.
1: Yeah, but you never know where the next job's coming from. So actors need to have part-time jobs and you'll find a lot of actors working in the Tesco's, support workers, key, key workers uh, just now um, because they have to supplement their income. So and one of the things, one of the skills as an actor is whatever the job is. They always say this at drama schools, Uh, whatever that job is, if you're a taxi driver, whatever it is, if you're working in a butcher's, if you're sales, you know, apply your acting training to the job you're doing. So prepare for it, think about it, and try and transfer those skills and do a better job of whatever it is. And that's what I've always tried to do. But um, I mean, when I was at drama school, one of the jobs I had was, um, I was a tarot card card (laughs) reader.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah he's probably awesome. the first, one, first person I've that said that.
1: No, yeah. It's absolute absolutely <laughs> bonkers. Um, because when you're a drama, and I, I continued doing it after drama school because it paid quite well. But I left because of the moral ambiguity. I mean, back then, if you were 1996, seven, if you were phoning a tarot card line, Gunter was phoning up and asking for his cards yeah. to be read. All they're interested in, It's keeping you on the phone as long as possible so that you can pay one point thirty five a minute.
0: Those cool charges, yeah.
1: So my job was I would go, I'd finish drama school at nine and I'd go to get something to eat at home. Then I would be at work at 11 and I'd work there until four o'clock in the morning, go back, sleep until eight and then go back to drama school. Did that for two years and I continued doing it after drama school for... Uh, quite a while but then I had to leave because of the model. I, I hated the morals of the whole thing it, it was a sweatshop there was about 50 people in a small room with the headphones and the phone would ring you know none of this new bloody thing about tarot cards or reading high all you did was you had a little kind of a book or a little sort of card so you get some women phoning up saying oh hello hello um my name is Alistair would you like me to do a reading yeah yeah with that I'm getting married on Saturday, and I was just wondering, I mean, my husband going to be happy? Yes.
0: <laughs> are,
1: yeah, we have, are we going to have children? Yes. <laughs> I, I, are we always going to both be working? Yes. <laughs> and are we going to be really successful? Yes. Now, that phone call could be over in a minute, but we had this overseer lady who was indicating, keep them talking, keep them talking. So you would very slowly say, well, let, let me find out a little bit about you, Go turn. Where, what's your How old are you? Who do you live with? What's happening? Da, 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 da. And so that would take up five minutes. And then eventually you'd get to turning the cards very slowly. And then you would have to interpret the cards. And that, so you could end up taking that call about her being married and having a happy life
0: to half an hour. Well, yeah, I can see why you why you decided to move on from that. Well,
1: and... the reason that part of me thought, you know, it's like a contract. They know, because you've got to tell them at the start of the phone call. You know, you do know that this calls one pound thirty-five a minute. Yeah, I do, I do, I do. They don't care. So that kind of got me through for two years. It's not like you were lying to them about the bill. You had to ask them, are you the bill payer? Do so you know how much this phone call is going to cost? And if they, they sounded very young and like kids, you just cut them off. If they were an adult and they said, I know how much it costs and I'm happy for it. So your job was to keep it going as long as possible, you know, and a sensible person should know that really, shouldn't they? But again, I transferred my acting skills. I built up this whole exciting picture, you know, I'll tell you one thing. If you ever phone those places, nothing bad will happen to you in the rest of your life.
0: (laughs) Okay, that that's good to know. Um, yeah, it's really good to know. And I
1: think the, re- the, reason, the reason I left very quickly, the reason I left is very simple. I got a phone call from a lady
0: from Northern Ireland and she said, um,
1: my house has been repossessed tomorrow. I said, oh, that's really bad news. I'm sorry about that. What? And she says, well, my husband and I had a ceramics business. Unfortunately, I'm a Catholic. He's a Protestant. Both our families uh, cut us off because of the, the Irish Catholic thing in Northern Ireland. Um, we have kids and we're going to lose the house, we're losing everything, and nobody can help us. Can you read my card? Can you read my card? And I'm thinking, oh my God. And you know, you've got this overseer, keep them talking, keep them talking. And That happened more than what, it wasn't just, it didn't only happen there, it happened a few times, but this was the one that pushed me over the edge. And I said to her, listen, um, I gave her my, I gave her my mobile, and I got her to phone me, and I I said, I didn't want to speak to you in there, because it's just, it's a waste of time. I said, I, I have got an idea how I can help you. I said, when you were speaking to me, you told me you had an uncle who had, you'd been very friendly with when you were younger and close to, but when you'd married this Protestant, he cut you off. But you said, you feel, I said, you've got to bite the bullet. And I said, what you've got to do is you've got to phone him right now. And you've got to say, because he was quite uh, affluent and had quite a lot of businesses. You've got to ask him for help. And you've got to say, I will, if you help me, my husband has agreed that we will divorce. He's agreed that the kids will be brought up as Catholics. And, but you've got to help you. And she, and she said, but he won't agree. I said, no, you've, you've got to be honest and truthful. And 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 if he was to turn around and say to you, okay, I'll help you, but you've got to do it. You will, you will have to do it. But believe me, I won't tell you what her name is. Good. Let's call her Mary. I said, believe me, Mary, it won't get that far. I'm telling you, I know from my experience. I'm telling you, the uncle will help, and he won't ask you to divorce, and he won't ask you to change anything about your life. And she did it, and she phoned me the next day, and the uncle said no. Normally, joking, he didn't say he didn't <laughs> say no. The uncle, um, the uncle helped them, saved the. He couldn't save, he couldn't save the house. It was too late, but he he got them back on their feet, and he actually integrated them back into both families. Romeo and Juliet, isn't it? Yeah. But, uh, I went to work And I said to the overseer, "I'm out." I said, "It's been on. My, I can't deal with this because you know it's just we're just we're feeding off people's vulnerabilities here. Yes, there's an aspect of it's just it's fun and stuff, but so yeah, that was one of the jobs I did. Then I worked in a Mongolian barbecue, and I was a, I was a gardener. I worked. Um, I did barn suppers. When I met, um, I was lucky enough to meet um, Nelson Mandela.
0: Oh wow, that's um, awesome.
1: We were doing, he was in Edinburgh for uh, the Nations, or the United Nations meeting. And he spoke to them all. It was in the Edinburgh Caledonian Hotel. I was, was in the conference center in Edinburgh. And he spoke to, you might, I don't know if you remember, you, you can look it up. But uh, we we, we served. I, so I was a waiter at that point. It was one of my non-acting jobs and we had to serve burn supper for to them. And he was at the head of the table and I was given the job of putting the, his dinner down in front of him and um, whatnot, and he ate it. And everything. think it was the first time he did ate haggis. I don't think he liked it very much. <laughs> and uh, afterwards, we were all lined up and he came down and said, yes, yeah, you were the man that gave me the horribleness. Uh, the and I just laughed. <laughs> and I said, yeah, it was. And he shook my hand and I felt a surge of electricity. And I felt, you know, he because he didn't see me, he knew nothing about me. He didn't know if I was an actor, he didn't know who I was. He just thought, or well, if I was a waiter, he did not. I'm telling you, I, was, I can only imagine it's how it must have felt, Jesus or something. <laughs> yes, he did not judge. And yeah. The fact, he just looked at the person, had a little bit of humor. Uh, just, we, we shared this moment, eye contact, and he said, Yes, uh, you served me the horribleness, meaning the, yeah, the um yeah. the <laughs> haggis. And they said, Um, you've done a good job, but and then he was gone, but
0: uh, he, he okay. was an awesome he was an awesome man. Okay, you can and, say
1: uh, I've only met him
0: for <laughs>
1: twenty seconds. But you know, and then um, and even that I took that into acting. I took his there was some I had to play some I had to play a vicar once who had that kind of he was a genuinely no sides person who was genuinely Nice man, and I and I remember thinking, you know, that that's what Mandela had. He just did not judge people. He didn't.
0: Yeah, and no, that's a, that's a good lesson for us all, I think. And um, ah, these, these are such great stories, and there's so many so many takeaways from this. I think, Alistair, we might have to even line up a second episode. <laughs> um, okay. but um, yeah, well, no, there's, a lot, it, there's it, a
1: lot more. I mean, I went on to do um, lots of theatre, and then eventually um, I started to. I went to I mean, just just to to cut back very quickly. When I left school, I left school with one O level in history, um, the equivalent of GCSEs now, isn't it? Yeah. But I went, I went back to school, and I got, and I did evening classes. I went back to the same school four years later because I had to get some qualifications for to take the jump up to to being a mortgage consultant, and I had not, didn't have the qualifications. I didn't have the school qualifications. So I had to get things like English and maths. So I went so, back to school and I got all of that. And then close
0: that gap, yeah.
1: Yeah, but, but I mean, um, get, getting back to the acting, um, you know, I, uh, uh, yeah, I, I did short films and then I came down to London. I did French theatre and I, at the same time doing all these other jobs. And eventually I, um, you know, I got a really good agent and I did Pit Lockery Festival Theatre and stuff like that. Dundee Rep. And then um, I, I got, I got seen for a feature film called The Wee Man, which is currently on iPlayer with Mark Robson, and I played a sort of corrupt police officer. I was only in
0: three or four scenes, but out of that, from I got a bit, I from, got, Sc- from Scotland, yeah, yeah, it was <laughs> Scottish, called The Wee Man.
1: And then I got, a, and then, then that led to um, a TV, and then that led to another thing. And then I I, I was in a a feature film called Schemers, which I played um, the equivalent of. Have you seen Train Spotting? Yes. Uh, do you know the character Begbie, played by Robert Carlyle? Yes. And Schemers, which it won the, the Audience Award at Edinburgh, and it's won quite a, lots of awards in various festivals. And it's just it's going to be released all over UK, America, Russia, uh, Europe. It was supposed to be released in May 8th, and there was a red carpet in Leicester Square and a red carpet in Dundee. Uh, yeah, I, played the equivalent, I, I played the equivalent of Begbie.
0: Uh, a looking massive looking big
1: role. And if you if looking any, forward if, to seeing if this, if any of the listeners want to look up Alistair Thompson Mills and go to my uh, my demo reel, my show reel, there's a scene from Schemers in my show reel.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, and that's that's what I was going to um, basically wrap the show up with. You know, is is uh, we you know, where can listeners find out a little bit more about you?
1: Yeah,
0: if they Google
1: <laughs> Alistair A L A S T A I R, then T H O M S O N then mills m-i-l-l-s um and then you'll just see and uh, put an actor you'll see um links to imdb spotlight you or even just go to video you'll see my, my demo reel so the thing um what have i got i was in a uh, um i was yep. in something called um autopsy i played alan thick who's an american actor yeah and i played him recently for american tv uh and i, I when the uh the virus happened i was um filming gone to ground the thing about the post-traumatic stress syndrome guy um and i got that believe it or not um uh, the producers of that had went to edinburgh to see various films had seen schemers had seen me contacted my agent and i got an addition to play um justin this 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 guy with post-traumatic and i got the role and i've been filming that for about four months that's I've only got one scene left to do on it, but we had Almost to there the, the virus. So it's been a very slow burner with my career, but um, I would say have, you know, have whatever you do, whoever you are in life, it doesn't matter, whatever you do, however, whatever level you're at, you know, whatever job you've got, have confidence and belief in yourself. But, you know, with human beings, the odds of us being on this planet are very, 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 very high very low sorry so you know just grab life and and you know and just try and be honest with yourself and with your families and friends and just be yourself and um enjoy life as well and um you know at the end of the day you know if you can just go to bed at night feeling that you've you've done something positive for the day you know that's all you can say and as an actor it's taken a long long time but slowly things are starting to pick up for me you know
0: you yeah, know, I, I think that that's great advice to end on. Um, it, it's, I mean, yeah, this, this session has been really insightful. I mean, there was so many good takeaways. So, uh, you know, certainly what I'm going to do is um, is share uh, some of the, the key takeaways in the show notes. I'll also share the link to your IMDB uh, page and, and and demo reel so that the listeners can just kind of click on that. Yeah, no, it, it's, Alistair, this has been really insightful. Uh, I really, really enjoyed this chat. So, You know, just all I can say is thanks so much for sharing sharing your story and, and sharing some of those great insights with with myself and and the listeners of the podcast
1: thanks no thank you for asking me and you know just everybody just we'll get through this and together and you know just try to be safe and and you know here's to the future
0: yeah no, absolutely i think that's sage advice and um yeah we just take it a day at a time but yeah no, thank you so much for um for for being part of this It's it's been an amazing chat well, thank you mate thank you well, we covered so much ground in that interview, and I really do think we need to get Alistair on back for another episode, uh, hear about some of those great stories on on his journey. Um, but what I wanted to do before ending off the show was really just draw out some of the key insights, because we really did cover a lot, as I said. And I think um, the first one that, that sprang to mind was a statement that Alistair made, and he said he didn't know anyone to help him reach the goal that he wanted to reach. And that was the goal of becoming an actor. Uh, He thought about it a bit and he reached out to to Ian Bannon, who was an established actor. And I think this really demonstrates the importance of having a mentor uh, or a number of mentors that can help you work through some of the challenges or go through the steps to help you achieve your goals. Uh, Another thing that Alistair said, he said, is if you can love what you do and do what you love, uh, you're a lucky person. And I think, you know, that's something that we should all live by. And, you know, it's something that, that can guide us uh some of the other things that I drew out in that interview was the importance of networking we didn't speak about networking per se but I think it was about building rapport and where Alistair describes you know knocking on the old woman's door establishing that rapport and ultimately then being introduced to someone else that helped him make his first sale you know that speaks volumes um Alistair also talked a lot about how he learned uh, he changed the script so you know kind of Adapting the tools that he had to be able to become successful. So that was changing the script. It was using humor and uh, Honesty, which is always good as Alistair described Uh, He also talked about self-awareness So some of these acting skills and the things that serve him well as an actor are absolutely Skills that can serve ourselves. Well, Uh, so um, As we said self-awareness putting some uh, yourself in someone else's shoes that empathy developing that empathy uh, and understanding, you know, what it is that's important to others and, and uh, you know, where others are coming from. Uh, he also said about, you never know where the next job is coming from. And you, actors always have need to have other jobs unless you one those, of those lucky 2% of, of actors. So I think this is really important. You know, he, he did what he needed to do to, to get by. He did what he needed to do to be able to pursue his dream of becoming an actor. So it's about you know, putting in that work, putting in that effort and, you know, perhaps doing stuff outside of your your comfort zone or things that you might not necessarily want to be doing uh, in order to achieve that longer-term objective and and that longer-term, those longer-term dreams. Alistair said one of the things he learned in drama school was applying your acting training to any job that you do, and I think this is really important. It's about taking the best of yourself those skills that you have and whatever work you're doing, you know, whether it's your day-to-day job, whether it's voluntary work, uh, you know, anything, it's about giving, giving the best of yourself and applying those skills to make sure you're doing a good job. Uh, which leads me to the, the point I'm going to conclude on again, quoting Alistair. He said, whatever the job is, there's a moment when you've got to do that job. You've got to demonstrate it to your employers and you know, that's absolutely key. It's, it's about having the skills and it's about having the, I guess, the insight and the knowledge to, to, to be able to do that job. You know, there's, there's going to come a time where you do have to demonstrate that and get the job done. So, well, uh, that's been really insightful. I think um, I'm going to end on that note and I hope to uh, have you back on the next episode uh, coming up soon. Please subscribe on all your favorite podcast channels uh, or mediums or platforms. The podcast is available on Apple, it's available on Google, Stitcher, Deezer, Spotify, they're all there, or you can just grab it off the Agile uh, Career Podcast website. Uh, Yeah, I look forward to talking to you again soon. In the meanwhile, take care of yourselves.